coming in. Romans chapter 1. Let's pray. Lord, as we open this wonderful book you've given us, Lord, may we yield our minds to you, as you said, as a child. If we want to understand the things of the kingdom, Lord, it's not based on our intellectual power or our knowledge. It's based on us yielding to the Holy Spirit to teach us. Your word says that the natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit. So we we acknowledge that, Lord. We will misunderstand. We will misapply if we if we try to do it in our natural thinking. So, Lord, we we die to that and open our minds to to be taught by you, and you know how to apply it, Lord. You know the gaps that each of us has in our thinking, in our faith, and I believe this morning, uh, uh, if, as you just shine that light in our hearts, tremendous change could come in our lives. Uh, whatever it is. Each one of us is struggling with the answer is faith in Jesus and touching him and receiving from him. And so, Lord, may we each just uh, experience you as we study this wonderful chapter in Jesus' name. Amen. So, verse 1, Romans 1. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. So we see in this section what I'm calling uh, verse 1, the apostle introduced. So he's introducing himself to uh, the church of Rome. And he's really giving his identity. It's kind of like, you know, we introduce ourselves to someone. Uh, I'm Rick. I'm a pastor. Um, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. Uh really is Paul's identity. And, and four things I want to quickly cover related to Paul's identity, his name, his position, his calling, and his separation. We, we see those four things in just this uh, little verse here. So his name, Paul, it really means small. Um, uh, so uh, Paul was not using uh, his uh, name Saul. He had changed his used his Greek name, uh, Paul, which really indicates his humility that he's saying, hey, I'm, I'm small. I, I'm not a big person. Uh, his position that he's a bondservant. Bondservant, of course, is someone who is a voluntary slave. So Paul's saying, I, I'm a voluntary slave of Jesus Christ. That's how I see myself. And then his calling that he's, he's an apostle. So he's a slave, but he has an assignment. He's a slave of Jesus Christ, and his assignment is to go out as the sent one, is what apostle means, to go out and proclaim this message of grace to the world. And then his separation, he says, I'm s- separated to the gospel of God. And really that, that has the thought of um, just Paul saying, uh, there's, a, there's a purity in my purpose. I don't want to be distracted from my calling. So I'm... I'm a humble man. I'm I'm just a slave of Jesus Christ, uh, but I have this calling as an apostle, and I'm not gonna and I'm separated unto that calling. I'm separated from other things that could distract me. You ever get distracted from maybe something you're working on, or a, a purpose, a plan that you have? It's it's hard, isn't it? You have to kind of move away the distractions and say, Hey, no, I'm focusing on this thing. Well, that's what Paul. Uh, did for his whole life. He wasn't going to be distracted. And you think about that 
parable where Jesus talked about that plant that was coming up and that it, the fruit got choked out, remember, by the weeds because uh, of the cares of this life and the uh, deceitfulness of pleasures. So as Christians, we may hear that calling and say, Lord, I surrender to you. I'm giving everything to you. I'm, I'm going to follow you in the purpose that you have for my life. But then uh, temptations can, can come in. They will come in to try to distract you from your calling and choke out that calling. So we have to be diligent. We have to have this mindset like Paul has. So it, that's how Paul saw himself. That was Paul's identity. You know, some people struggle with their identity, you know, especially maybe young people. I remember when I was younger, you're kind of trying to figure out who am I? And yet we have so much in common here with Paul where we can say, hey, we're, we choose to be slaves of Jesus Christ. We choose to follow him and separate ourselves from the world and to, and to follow the calling that each of us has. So kind of I put uh, this verse in, in my own words for Paul, maybe the way he could introduce himself. He says, hi, I'm Paul the, I'm Paul the Small. And I'm a slave sent by my master, Jesus Christ, to proclaim the good news of God. And I will not be distracted from this purpose. So it's important, I think, that we all have kind of an identity statement. You know, who am I? Uh, Don't let others define you, right? Sometimes people see you in a certain way, especially relatives, I think. I kind of struggled with this when I was younger where I was kind of viewed as the troubled kid in the family, right? I was the drug addict. I was the alcoholic and, and, um, excuse me, you know, the Lord changed me. He changed me. And yet some people will always see you as that person. You're the loser. You know, you're, you're never going to amount to anything. And you got to just abandon that and say, you're wrong. You don't know my savior you don't know what he's done for me you don't know what god says about me and that's how i'm going to identify myself not the way you see me it's hard to work through some of those things right and um man i'm glad that we know christ and he gives he makes us new creatures thank the lord so then the next section verses two through four what I'm calling the gospel of God introduced. So the apostle was introduced in verse one. Now verses two through four, we see the gospel of God introduced. So notice at the end of verse one, he says, I'm separated to the gospel of God. And now Paul is beginning to define what the gospel of God is or the good news of God. And often when we think about God and, and relating to God, we don't think of good news. We think, oh, he must be mad at me. He must, be, he must see all my sin. It, it, it's certainly not good news. But no, that's what the gospel is. There's good news for us if we'll learn what it is and, and put our faith in Christ. So let's see as Paul now begins to introduce and define what the gospel of God is in verse 2. He says, The gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David, according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. So we see, first of all, that the gospel is Christ centered. 
The gospel is Christ-centered. Notice that he says there, verse 3, the gospel is concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So the gospel can be a lot of things, right? Like we do work to help the poor. We minister to other people. That's all part of the gospel, but that is not the core of what the gospel is. Those are just fruits that flow out of the gospel. The good news, it's concerning Jesus Christ, our Lord. So we're going to see this now as we go through the book of Romans. This is Paul's focus, the person of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross and how he died for our sins. He rose again victoriously. And we died with him, and we rose with him. These are very relevant truths to our daily lives as we learn to deal with our sinful nature through taking it to to the cross every day. We have to do that. As we learn by faith to walk in his resurrection power, these are relevant things, right? These are daily things. And if we get over in the flesh and just kind of live in our own strength and our own wisdom, we're going to be defeated. We're going to be defeated. It's a daily thing. Jesus said, you you want to be my disciple? You need to take up your cross daily, deny yourself, and follow me. In that one sentence, Jesus is summing up the truths of the gospel. He's saying, you got to deal with self every day. It's not going to go away until you die and you get that new glorified body. Got to deal with it. Paul goes into great detail on how we deal with the flesh. And then we have to follow Jesus. We have to recognize his lordship in our life, his resurrection power in our life. So the gospel is concerning Jesus Christ, our Lord. We must remember that. We must stay focused on Jesus, what he did. And the enemy would want to distract us from that, keep us, keep our eyes off of Jesus. But Paul says, no, Defining the gospel of God, it's Christ-centered. It's not a program. It's not a principle. It's a person. His work on the cross and how we identify with that. That's where the power is. That's where the life is. And then also we see in these verses 2 through 4 more information about the Son of God, about Jesus Christ. And we see that he is the son of man, and he's the son of God. These are very, very important truths. And it says in these verses, concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who is born of the seed of David, according to the flesh. So that's the, the son of man. Jesus had to become a man in order to identify with us, to die for us. But he he was also the son of God. He is the son of God. Verse 4, declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. So he's the son of man and he's the son of God. But now notice he says there he was resurrected or declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of Holiness by the resurrection from the dead. So there's a hint now here where Paul is heading in his teachings in the book of Romans and how we identify it. He says Jesus was not just raised from the dead, but he he was raised from the dead 
by the spirit of holiness, by the power of the Holy Spirit. So Paul's going to develop this later as, as really the, the book of Romans kind of comes to a climax in, ver, in chapter 8, if you know Romans chapter 8, about walking in the power of the Spirit. See, that's where our victory is. That's where Paul is trying to lead us. He's trying to teach the world as we get in chapter one, teach us we're sinners, we're in deep trouble, we need help, we need a savior. And then he goes on later in the, in the book of Romans, as Christians now, how do you handle sin? How do you deal with the devastation of sin in your own life? And the answer is we learn to yield to the Holy Spirit, to depend on the Holy Spirit, to walk in the Spirit. That's step by step. And here we're getting the hint of it. He's saying the Son of God was raised from the dead by the Spirit of holiness. This, you have the power of the Holy Spirit in you. That, that same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives in you. But we just need to learn how to release that power. And it, it's not automatic. It is not automatic. If you're under the law and you're still trying to serve God, in your, with your best efforts, the Holy Spirit is not going to empower that life. He's not going to bless that life. He'll keep trying to teach you and try, trying to reach you with the, the message of grace, but you're going to be a frustrated Christian. And we read about that, how Paul experienced that in Romans 7. We'll get to that. So we'll get to that in seven weeks because we're going to cover one chapter a week. I'm determined. So we got to keep moving. Um, verse 5. We see now the gospel of grace introduced. So we saw Paul introduced. We saw the gospel of God introduced. Now in verse 5, we're seeing the gospel of grace introduced. Paul says, through him or through Jesus, we have received grace and apostleship for the obedience of, to the faith among all nations for his name. So this is this kind of verse that you can just kind of blow over in, in, your, in your reading. But it's, isn't it beautiful when you ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you and you're yielded to the Spirit, and all of a sudden a verse you've read so many times, it's like, whoa, there's so much in that verse. And as I was looking at this verse, I, I thought, look, at, look what he's saying. Paul's saying, we have received grace and apostleship. Or, or he could even say, you know, Paul, I have received grace and apostleship, right? Because he's an apostle. But notice what he's saying. He's received the grace of God through Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. Through him or through Jesus Christ and what he did by dying and rising again, I've received grace. And this is a super important point in, in the book of Romans. We have got to learn how to receive God's grace every day. We, we need to be drinking in the power and the grace of God. How are we going to be used of God in any way if we don't learn to receive, right? And too often the emphasis is on go do this, go give, go, go work, go love. And that's good. We're supposed to do all those things. But if you're a Christian who's empty and not receiving the grace of God, you're, you're going to get burned out, right? You're going you're gonna to grow weary. And, you know, some you may have that youthful sort of enthusiasm and, and, you're go and that might take you for a while. But, you know, you get older like, like me and you're like, I'm tired, man. I can't do this anymore. And, and sometimes we hit that wall 
And then we realize, oh man, I can't do this in my own strength. I need the grace of God. And I think Paul really understood that. You know, he, he says, we re, we've received grace. And we're going to really develop that through the, the book of Romans. But notice he also says, we've received grace and apostleship. So grace doesn't mean that you're just sitting in, in some kind of spiritual hammock. You know, I'm under the grace of God. I don't have to do anything. I'm, I'm you know, or I can just sin it up. Paul's going to talk about that. Oh, we have grace, so can we, we continue in sin that grace might abound? No, that's a misunderstanding of grace. Or grace doesn't mean you're easy on sin, you know, and uh, anything goes. That's a total misunderstanding. But usually when you're teaching grace, you will be accused of that. And Paul was. But he says, we've received grace and apostleship. So the grace comes first and then the calling. And I, I love that verse where Paul says, you know, I worked harder than uh, any, of the, any other of the apostles, yet not I, but the grace of God within me. So in, in before that, he says, the grace of God was not given to me in vain. So he received the grace of God. Uh, yet I worked harder than any of the other apostles yet not I but the grace of God in me so we receive grace and man we should just be drinking in that living water every day Lord just fill me fill me Lord I want to be a channel of abiding in you but then I want to work hard for you Lord and work hard maybe harder than anybody around me you know I'm, I'm kind of competitive you know so I want to be the hardest worker you know whatever I mean you just work hard for the Lord and uh but it's it's not really me doing the work it's the grace of God in me and so Paul said yeah I received grace and apostleship and then he says for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name and I love that phrase obedience of the faith and basically what he's saying there he's preaching the gospel as an apostle as a sent one and, he, and the message is faith you need to believe in Jesus but it's an obedience of faith you you have to when you hear the gospel and you hear the call, you have to obey. You say, okay, Lord, I believe I will follow you. I will receive Jesus Christ. So there's an obedience there with faith. So it's kind of the same principle. Paul says, I receive grace, but I go work for the Lord. Uh, and the message of the gospel is you receive Christ by faith, but it's, it's a life of obedience. It, uh, faith is obedience to the Lord. And so, we see now just a hint of the gospel of grace that Paul's going to then develop uh, further. And then verses 6 through 13, we're going to move through quickly. This is uh, Paul, affection, what I titled this, Paul affectionately greets the church. And so we really see Paul's heart, his tender love for the, the Roman church as a pastor. He loved people. And so just, just kind of try to catch Paul's heart. He wasn't just some, you know, cold theologian. He, he loved people. So verse 6, Romans chapter 1, Among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ, to all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you, 
that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you, just as among the other Gentiles. So you see Paul's affection for the people, and he's, he's expressing his love openly to them. You know, Paul had a, a real heart, uh, you know, that he loved people, but he really wanted to build them up in their faith in Christ to really, by encouraging them who they are in Christ. So we see really this uh, list of, of loving and faith building encouragements by Paul that it will quickly go, go through. So verse six, we, we see Paul uh, reminding them that they are the called of, of Jesus Christ and really reminding them that they're, they're special. You're, you're special. You're called of Jesus Christ. You're among the, those nations that he mentioned in verse five, those who are obedient to the faith. So this makes me think about how I interact with other people and do I have these kind of same characteristics that Paul had toward the church. And I think each, each of us should examine our hearts. Do we, uh, are we encouraging other believers with these kinds of uh, encouragements, like reminding people, hey, you're special. You're called of Jesus Christ. You're, verse 7, you're beloved of God. You're beloved of God. You have God's love and favor. And, and the idea here is not that, well, you know, God loves everybody, right? God so loved the world. He loves everybody, sinner or saint. But this is a, a different love. This is a pleasing love. This is like, we're, remember when God's voice came over Jesus when he was baptized? He said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So, you know, when I, before I understood God's grace as a Christian, I used to feel like, okay, I know God loves me. I get that. I know the Bible, but I think most of the time he's just irritated with me. I'm kind of like a little toddler who, you know, I love you, sweetie, but man, you're getting into stuff all the time, knocking stuff over. You're, it's a, you're a disaster. You know, you know, I watched my granddaughter, my one and a half year old granddaughter for four days and she had a couple bruises on her head when I was done with her. You know, my family makes fun of me and I, not that I hit her, I make that clear, but you know, grandpa, <clears throat> you know, is struggling to keep up with her. Right. And she fell down a stair on the, on the, uh, the play yard and whatnot. And she, she's fine, you know, but don't call CPS on me or anything, you know, but, uh, my point is, you know, I, I kind of felt like that before God, like, I know he loves me, but he can't be pleased with me because I'm just goofing up all the time. I'm like a little toddler. I'm a disaster. And, you know, I, as I've learned God's grace, I don't think that way anymore. I believe God is pleased with me. Why? Because of my faith in Jesus Christ, his son. He's pleased with his son. He's very pleased with his son. He always has been. And I'm in Christ now. I'm clinging to Christ so God is pleased with me. He's singing over me. He's rejoicing over me. And, and again, that doesn't mean I'm, I'm casual about sin in my life. I'm, you know, we're wanting to grow and to sin less and to be more Christ-like. 
but you're never going to be sinless. And if you're looking at yourself and, and, and your performance, you're always going to feel like God's mad at you. No, look, look to Jesus and his righteousness. You know, as I see failure in my life more and more, I just say, Lord, you know, I know I, I'm, I'm falling short in that area, Lord. It's clear. But Lord, right now, just by faith, I receive your, not only your forgiveness, which I'm very grateful for, but I receive your righteousness as a gift right now in my life. Just, Lord, just pour it into that area where I'm failing. I'm, you know, I'm not being a good husband, maybe. Lord, I need your righteousness. I used to just, you know, make promises to God and go read a self-help book. And, and um, boy, it's a whole different approach. And, the, and then in the context of all that, receiving God's forgiveness, receiving his righteousness, I'm not condemned. I'm, I'm forgiven and I'm encouraged with hope that God will help me change and make me better, and that he's pleased with me right now, even in the midst of my failure, because I'm clinging to his son, Jesus Christ. And so I'm beloved of God. You're beloved of God. You have God's love. You have God's favor. Verse 7, we're called to be saints. Now, again, are we reminding one another, hey, you're, you're called to be a saint. But what does that mean? You know, you look at that Greek word, it means... Um, you know what that word means? It means an awful thing. Well, that doesn't sound very encouraging. Hey, bro, you're a saint. You're an awful thing. <laughs> no, but the, what, think about the root of that. Awful, aw, awesome, awesome. It means you're an awesome thing. Okay, now what does that mean? Well, you think about something that's holy. And that, that's also the root word of that word saint. It's like holy. It's set apart. It's special. It's like you think about, like, remember the Ark of the Covenant where that guy, uh, it started falling off the wagon and that guy caught it. Uh, what was his name? Uzziah, I think. And God struck him dead. And David's like, what's going on, Lord? You know, we're trying to do a good thing. And he's like, God's like, I told you, you know, never touch. You don't touch the Ark. It's holy. You know, do, do you not understand how holy I am? God is saying, do you, do you not get this? You're treating me casual. I am holy. I am separate from every sinner. I am unapproachable, holy light. You know, it's important we get that idea, that vision of God, the glory of his holiness, and how could we possibly approach him in our sin? But Paul is saying because of the work of the cross and your faith in the work of the cross, you're forgiven. You're this holy thing now. You're this awesome thing. I don't think we understand that. I don't think like the angels, how they look at us, you know, I'm all down. I'm like, oh, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I hate myself. I'm no good. I'm nothing. And the angels are going, what's he talking about? He's an awesome thing. He is, he is separated unto God. He's, he's a child of God. Jesus died for him. He's trusting Jesus. He's believing lies about himself. No, you are awesome. You're a saint. You're special. And then verse 7, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So that often, you know, that greeting that Paul would give, grace and peace be unto you. Oh, I love that. Isn't that what you want in your life? Oh, I want grace. I want peace. Sometimes we don't get that from other people, right? I'm not getting grace from this person. I'm not getting, 
But you know what? From God, I'm getting grace and peace. Not only from God the Father, but from Jesus Christ, the whole Trinity. Like, I'm receiving grace and peace. Forgiveness, power, peace. See how Paul is just encouraging, encouraging these people. Verse 8, he says, I'm grateful for you. Verse 9, he says, I'm praying for you. Verse 10, he says, I'm praying to see you. Verse 11, he says, I long to see you. Verse 11, 12, he says, I want a fellowship with you. Verse 13, he says, I plan to come often to you. So you see Paul just expressing himself, you know, and you see that love. Like, are we like that with people? Like, man, I've missed you. I long to see you. Isn't it good to see John back? John Tucker? Yeah. John had, for those of you who don't know, John had surgery, and he's been out a few weeks uh, recovering major you know heart surgery so we're so glad to see him but man it's not the same when john's not here i was telling him he's a, he's like a a rock of the church he's in there at 9 30 praying and um it, it's in i seriously can say i i long to see this brother i i i love him don't get emotional no but you know, can you see this, like, you know, Paul's heart? And it's like sometimes we're so uh, cold toward one another or we just don't care. Or we don't think about each other, you know. And, and it's like, man, Paul says, no, I'm praying for you. I'm grateful for you. I, I, in fact, I'm praying to see you. You know, I thought about that when I was reading this. Is, you know, I've, I've shared this with the church before. You know, we're all live all over the metroplex i mean i can't believe you know some of you folks drive like 50 miles to come here every week it's crazy and uh and i love you for that bless you but it's like um it's hard for us to get together on a consistent basis isn't it and to really fellowship and i and i just say lord help us to do that and 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 so paul is praying lord how can I get to see uh, the Romans? I want to spend time with them. But notice, see, Paul, he wasn't just setting the goal. He was, he was praying that God would make it happen. Well, it did end up happening, not the way Paul you know, probably planned on it, but going there as a prisoner. But, but, you know, just see Paul's heart. I long to see you. I want a fellowship with you. And the fellowship that we see in verse 11 is, you know, I, I want to um, share my faith with you, my spiritual gifts, and I want to receive uh, your faith, your, your gifts back toward me. That, isn't that what fellowship is? You know, it's not just talking about the, the sports teams or whatever. It's, it's like, hey, what's God been showing you? And what is your gifting? And, and, and can you share your gifting with me? And I want to share my gifting with you. And then we're built up. That's just the way God's made the kingdom of God. We're, we can't be lone rangers. It doesn't work that way. And so often, so often it happens with me. I hear something from one of you guys or a, a Christian friend that just blows my mind. It's like, whoa, God just spoke through you. And, and that's the way it's supposed to be because God doesn't want just Rick in his Bible. And, you know, I'm, I am kind of a loner. I've, you know, gotten over that a long time ago, but it's like, Oh, me, just me and you Lord on an Island somewhere, you know, and my Bible and my surfboard, whatever. No, no, that's, that's not going to work. It, it, it's God says, I'm not going to give you everything you need unless you're in the body of Christ, unless you're hearing from people. And then it, what it does when God speaks through you, 
I view you in a different way. I was like, oh my gosh, the Lord just spoke through that person. I never view you the same. I think you're awesome. I think you're a saint. I really do. And I think that's how we build up our love and respect. That's what, you know, in the first century church, they said of the believers, you know, how they love one another. And Jesus said that they, that's how they will know you by your love, you know, not by your bumper sticker or your Facebook page necessarily, but by how you love one another. And so then let's keep reading verses uh, 14 and 15. Paul says, I'm a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. So Paul, verses 14 and 50, Paul, Paul um, is a, was a ready debtor. So as Paul receiving God's grace and this great change in his life and this calling that he had, he felt a debt to share that with others. You know, it'd be like, you know, somebody giving you a a billion dollars and saying, look, all I want you to do is make sure you go out and you find homeless people to share this with and you find the needy. And uh, I'm giving you all this money but I'm just asking you, you know, to do that, to, sh- to share. And then you get all the money and you don't do anything. You just sit, you sit on your hands. That would be, that would be shameful, wouldn't it? And, and so Paul's had that sense of, no, I'm a debtor to Greeks, to barbarians, the wise and the unwise, to share the gospel. So Paul was a great receiver but he was also a great giver. And so we also uh, notice he says, I, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to preach the gospel. And sometimes we can be caught off guard, can't we? Like that there, there's an opportunity that we had and we just weren't ready. We just weren't ready to share. And uh, so that that should be part of our prayer life is to say, Lord, you know, I I know I should be sharing. Uh, give me a heart to share, like Paul, that, that sense of of, of uh, responsibility, obligation, but but out of joy. You know, I don't see this as like Paul feeling this heavy weight. It was it, it was a privilege uh, to share, and he and he felt ready to share all the time. And then verse 16, 17, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Uh, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. So Paul was not ashamed to share the gospel. Uh, especially in that day where, you know, the Romans who were crucifying people that the head of the movement of Christianity was, was Jesus Christ who was crucified. That was a very shameful thing for someone to be crucified. And Paul says, look, I'm, I'm not embarrassed by that because that's how the power of God flows through the cross, through the person of Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed of the good news of Christ for the good news of Christ is the power of God to salvation. So that's good news for us that we're reminded 
to experience the power of God in our lives, it's through faith. Jesus says it's for everyone who believes. For, uh, for in it or in the good news of Christ, that focus on Christ, the righteousness of God is revealed. So the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. So again, it's not a one-time experience. So I accepted Jesus and he forgave my sins. And now I'm just doing the best I can. I'm just trying to live my life to be a good person. No, it's, it's more than that. It's a step-by-step walk with God. The just shall live by faith. We live, we breathe by faith. We go from faith to faith. And, and in that faith, we're experiencing the righteousness of God. So how do you view living righteously? Is it like you feel God standing over you with a, a baseball bat ready to beat you down when you fail? Or, or do you view it as you know, Jesus Christ with his nail-scarred hands holding out his righteousness to you as a free gift and saying, yeah, I see you're struggling, you're sinning. Here's my righteousness. Oh, yeah, I need to receive that, Lord, again, by faith. I, I receive that righteousness. Isn't that freedom? Man, that's a, that's a completely different way to live than being under the law where you just think God's mad at you all the time. The standard's the same. It's not we're lowering the standard. We're just receiving his righteousness by faith. I love to live that way, and I hate when my flesh gets under the law and I can, I can just sense in my spirit where I'm, you know, I start to get irritable or I start to get burdened and heavy and it's kind of like a red flag going up. It's like, what's going on? Why are you acting like that? Well, you're, you're, you're coming out of that, that rest. You know, enter back into his rest. Receive the gift of righteousness by faith. One of my favorite verses, a great verse to memorize, uh, verse 16, 17 in Romans. Okay, now we, um, we come into this section, verse 18, uh, and it's going to go through chapter 3 through verse 20 where Paul's going to lay out the devastation of sin over mankind. And so verse 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So Paul now is explaining God's wrath is revealed and it's real interesting when you contrast this verse with verse 16 and 17 so we're really contrasting wrath to salvation so in in verses 16 and 17 paul is talking about god's salvation coming to those who believe verse 18 is talking not about god's salvation coming god's wrath coming to those who don't believe so also notice the contrast between righteousness revealed by faith to wrath revealed to the unbelieving. Now, how, what is the difference between a person who's under the wrath of God, which is, you know, it's not a word we use a lot anymore, but it, you know, it just means anger, God's judgment. You know, it's like God's given you that billion dollars and you're just blowing it off like i don't care you know i do not care about god i don't care what he thinks i don't care about the gifts he's given and that's man that's wrong that's wrong and and god is so pure 
it's, um, you know, I, I just see his wrath really ultimately it just flows out of his love in the sense like I, I, I'm, I am love, I'm giving, giving to you and you are rejecting me and, um, you know, God's wrath is, it's just justice. It, it has to be exercised, but it's revealed from heaven against ungodliness and righteousness, those who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. So it's a contrast to those who see the truth of the gospel and receive it by faith and say, oh, I, I see that now. My eyes are open. I see I'm a sinner. I see you died on the cross. Yes, Lord, come into my life. Forgive me. So you're responding to the revealed truth. These folks are seeing revealed truth, but they're suppressing it and saying, no, I, I don't really want that in my life. Uh, I love my sin. Men love darkness rather than light, Jesus said. Um, no, I don't want to give up my sin. So I'm just going to suppress that. It's the opposite of faith, right? Faith just opens our arms to God and says, okay, Lord, do what you want to do. I believe your God. Uh, suppression of truth is the opposite of that. So um, righteousness follows faith. So as we learn to walk in faith and understand what Jesus did, and we exercise faith in Jesus, righteousness comes into our life. For those who refuse the truth, wrath follows, and then we're going to see really the devastation of sin that follows in a person's life who rejects the revelation given to them by God. So verses 19 through 23, let's read. And this, would, and this is why God's wrath is revealed. Verse 19, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. So we see in these verses that God has revealed himself to everybody through his creation and that each of us are responsible to react to that revelation. And yet, when we don't respond to that revelation, that rejection of God, it has consequences. And Paul begins to list these, that your, 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 your thoughts become futile, empty, confused. Your heart becomes darkened. You know, the world says, oh, just, just follow your heart. You're following a dark heart. And then you're, you're in a place of deception, and so you're actually a fool, but you profess to be wise. And you end up worshiping created things and not the creator. So this is a, a devastating, really, picture of, of, of mankind. But doesn't it help us understand people we know who have rejected the gospel, why they, they're so blinded, right? They just, you know, how do you believe in evolution? How are you okay with abortion? Um, and and it, it, these seems to be intelligent people often, but see, it's not intelligence. See, their 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 hearts are darkened. 
they're, they're futile in their thoughts. There's a consequence for rejecting God, and you begin to you'll go in this downward spiral, and it, it's a bad thing. It's a bad thing. And so verse 24 through 27, God gives them up to sexual immorality. So as people reject God and his standards, uh, these are uh, just inevitable things that are going to happen in their life uh, where there's, there's uh, sexual immorality that comes into their life. Verse 24, therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lusts for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. And so we see this <clears throat> real condemnation of homosexuality. And, uh, you know, in our country right now, we have uh, a small group uh, that we call, you know, militant homosexuals and um, accuse us of hating them. And, uh, you know, I, I just want to say I, I don't have any hate whatsoever for, for a homosexual person but we have to preach what the Bible says, right? It doesn't mean you hate someone because you express to them what the Bible says. The Bible certainly isn't saying God hates them. He's saying God is trying to reach them with his love and forgiveness, but if they refuse him and, and, and God is, is not going to force a person to follow him, and, and there's a point where God just says, you know what, I'm just going to give you up to your sin and and hopefully... As you follow your sin, you'll see the devastate, devastating consequences and turn back to me. And God's just letting it play out in your life. And um, so it's not that we as Christians have hatred at all. In fact, it seems like the hatred's coming toward us, right? More and more in our society. And so it's, it's something that we have to be aware of. Um, you know, what's being taught in our schools to our children. Um, and uh, we're, we're not full of hate. We're, we're, we're full of love, but we're going to proclaim what the Bible says. And, you know, part of the gospel is warning people. Uh, remember John the Baptist, he said to uh, people coming out to, to his baptism, he says, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And uh, th that's part of the gospel. Uh, obviously, we're reading uh, a part of Scripture that seems very, you know, dark in terms of uh, the, the opinion of mankind. And, and yet you have to understand sin and admit you're a sinner before you can receive God's forgiveness and grace. That's just how it is. You have to confess your sin to God, admit you're, you've fallen short of his glory and that's what Paul is laying out here to, to convince people that look, at, look around you. It's sin. It's devastated the world. This is how God views sin. If you're willing to accept the truth of that, you can have a relationship with God. So let's just move on. Verse uh, 28 through 32. Um, 
And even then, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. So I just want to read this in the the New Living Translation. It helps us, I think, um, maybe have some more more modern words and, and some of uh, help us understand what he's saying here. Uh, verse 28, Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do the things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their, disobey their parents. They refuse to understand they refuse to understand, break their promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. So we're going to end there today. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ. And yet, Lord, it's important we understand the truth about sin. And Lord, that we're willing to, uh, to speak that truth and warn others because we love them, because we know your wrath is upon them and, and they have a, a bleak future if they don't repent. So give us that strength, Lord, to uh, proclaim your truth. And for each one here, Lord, that we would learn uh, more and more just to walk in your righteousness by faith, to be pleasing to you. And Lord, as we see areas of struggle in our lives, we will just learn to look to you by faith and receive that outpouring of your Holy Spirit, the righteousness of Christ in our lives. And then we just give you the glory for, for seeing free, freedom from sin, fruitfulness in our lives. So we just commit all these things to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.